0: First of all, thank you for getting the time to uh, talk about uh, Darknet Diaries and your current project. And um, I actually got suggest I got this uh, suggestion from a friend of mine, which is really active on Reddit, uh, to check your podcast uh, because about six months ago, six or seven months ago, I was um, working on my book, uh, the one I mentioned to you, the conversation in cyberspace. Which is coming out in March, in and, um, and it was like you had to check this uh, this podcast because it's uh, it's it's in line with what you're doing. Now my podcast uh, and my show will be, you know, more about technology in general. But right now, uh, my one of my main focus is, is is on security because everybody's talking about you know security. But it's a subject I've always been fascinated, but somehow, it, you know, in in the in 2017, 2018, it kind of became more uh, uh, more mainstream awareness. Uh, it was time, uh, you know, for uh, uh, for businesses that they, they had their core uh, values and, and their core foundation in technology to finally become aware of the importance of um, you know proper design and security. But um, we haven't got a time yet um, to talk about how. Your journey started. So, if, uh, if you're okay, like, um, talk about Darknet Diaries, how the whole thing started. At pod- Did it start as a podcast or as a blog?
1: Yeah, so I had been working in Infosec, um, as a, as a network security engineer for about 10 years before this, and um. A really big fan of NPR and shows like uh, Radio Lab and This American Life, and the fact that I could drive somewhere, and you know get to where I'm going, but the show's not over, and I'm just sitting in my car like listening to the rest of this story before um, before getting out. And uh, I, I was just like, how is this story so like connect me w- with me so much? Why am I so glued to it? And uh, you know, growing up with that, and then you know, you go to conferences like security conferences like Def Con and you hear people tell you stories that are so amazing about a hack that they had to defend against or, or a hack they did and you know combine those two i thought why couldn't there be a podcast that um, has these amazing storytelling techniques to uh, to really captivate you and keep your interest um, in the same way that maybe uh, this american life can do uh, you know i just focused on that and i think there's just endless stories to cover because uh, it, it is really exciting. It's a, it's like a spy thriller. It's it's uh, you know uh, overthrowing the man. There's all these uh, you know reasons and, and motivations that happen, and, and really clever and innovative ways that people have overcome the odds to uh, to get this. And it, it's just it's got so many twists and turns. It's just so ripe for for a, a space like this. And I think Mr. Robot probably also uh, convinced me that you can you can tell a really great hacker story. To keep people interested and and excited. so I think just all that combined with uh, feeling burnt out at work, uh, I decided I've always been kind of a creative type person, making websites and blogs and, and that kind of thing. So I think a lifetime of of, of writing blogs and building up you know uh, skills on different things, uh, I just tackled this project, and it's took off pretty quickly at the beginning and and still it's still catching fire right now.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's uh, the whole security and also the, the whole world related to you know, both Deep Web and Dark Web, depending on the way people label it, sometimes in the wrong way, but more or less it's, it shows that the majority of the first world population, and also uh, the, in the third world, in places like uh, uh, India, Bangladesh and so forth, a lot of people use technology on uh, every day, but they have no real clue of what goes on in the back end. And, uh, and it's not just about, you know, leaking information, but it's literally um, exposing um, personal uh, stuff that uh, people think that, you know, they can keep separate from uh, their business uh, identity or from uh, their public uh, appearance. So, um, in for sure, you, you, uh, you had you had a chance to, uh, you know, explore and uh, interact with extremely diverse Type of people, and not just in you know from from the good side of security, but also people that they try to find hacks, uh, or uh, not necessarily you know the typical uh, you know like a criminal hacker, but also somebody who maybe tries to do uh, grow hacking uh, with some uh, black hat uh, tricks. And I remember I saw in your um in your podcast an episode uh, dedicated on the uh, on the Apple podcast uh, top charts. And you mentioned about Bangladesh, which is a a famous uh, part of the world where people are usually associated to uh, cheap SEO uh, services and, or uh, uh, phishing emails. Um, just just the same way it used to be ten years ago for uh, mass email campaigns coming from uh, places like Ghana or Nigeria and so forth. Um, could you tell us examples um, of? Um, Episodes on your uh, podcast where you cover uh, cases that they're not necessarily related to what is you know in, in, the, uh, in, in the in the public uh, imagery of uh, you know government hacks uh, or big corporation hacks, uh, but specifically cases where uh, people are looking for say um, apps charts or music charts uh, or uh, uh, social media personalities, and they're actually looking at uh, bots that are in action uh, or some clever and um, you know like a uh, growth act techniques
1: yeah there, are uh, like you're saying uh, episode 27 which is called chart breakers um, I explore the black hat marketing world of, of promoting a podcast and like you're saying uh, in Bangladesh uh, these these people can can use uh, certain techniques to subscribe to your show a lot on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and get you ranked high up in the charts and this is this is a powerful um, thing because if you're ranked high in the charts then you're gonna uh, get a lot of natural you know discover discovering uh, people discovering your show so um, this is going on and it's really cheap and it's weird because you can find these services in places like Fiverr and it is a black hat technique And it goes against the terms of service and all these things that Apple doesn't want people doing. And when something is so easily available, like at Fiverr, a lot of people stumble into this not knowing that it is a black hat technique. They're just like, oh, this person can promote my show. And, you know, you would think that Fiverr should do some, should only allow, you know, legitimate... Uh, you know services there and not black hat services and so they're really working hard to try to get rid of these people out of their out of their system and, and it becomes a, a struggle because there's always a new black hat technique and, and fiver's not always hip to know that you know this is a black hat technique or not um, so it's it's a definitely a struggle for them uh, another interesting episode was um it's called finn and it's a it's a kid it's a high school kid who was just um, poking around in, in third period class in high school on a tablet that um, he, he discovered uh, access into the internal schools network into, into into systems that he shouldn't have had access to which he discovered he got onto the principal's laptop and he got access to the principal's private documents and um, was really frustrated with his whole experience at the school so he decided to take vengeance on the school and this is a this is a an interesting example of just like there there's this stereotypical like you're saying governments hacking other governments or 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 the, the hoodie kid in the basement um this is different this is a kid in third period class that does the entire hack all within like two periods of school and on a tablet too which is just so I don't know that's that's so phenomenal to me because I always imagine like I need a keyboard if I'm gonna do some hacking but this kid's doing it just straight up on a tablet and uh and yeah it's it I like those kind of stories that have a completely different scene than the traditional one um that that just they, they give you totally different reasons and motivations to of why somebody would do a hack as well as a different setting on how they did
0: it as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, the story of the 14-year-old kid, because it shows again uh, that, uh, you know, kind of like the same type of um, phrase that was mentioned to me uh, a while ago while I was surfing on, I believe it was Galaxy 2 or Galaxy 3, the social networking in in the deep web. I was talking with, you know, the, I ended up in this IRC chat and I was talking with a few, uh, I believe, young hackers. Some of them, uh, they were talking, you know, they were exchanging um, zip folders with PDFs of O'Reilly Media books. You know, like the, the classic books about, you know, like learning and networking and uh, coding in C plus and so forth. But what they were really proud about, uh, they were really proud about knowing the process. And by the process, um, it's and they were saying like you know like we don't hack machines, we hack humans. And the point, the very interesting point about that, because it sounds like uh, you know it sounds like it has no, it's something non cool, you know, because people when they, they picture the hacker, they think about like uh, you know running scripts that will uh, co- collapse uh, huge servers uh, uh, or expose data of uh, uh, Google databases. But the truth is that. And a lot of the stuff that is around, uh, and this is I mean in my personal experience and what I've been seeing, all the stuff that is around online, it just lacks of um, security by design. So it used to have stuff that is literally thrown to the consumer, to users. Everybody starts to use you know, people starts to use it because it becomes a hype or Uh, like in the case of social uh, networks uh, or apps. uh, But in the first place, they they have no clue of how the uh, actual structure is designed. And if it's purely designed, all it takes uh, is to find um, a a home in the system. And you don't have to be, uh, you could be a script kiddie, you could be somebody that literally uh, copy and paste um, lines of code, uh, uh, but just because you know when and where to use them, then it works that's very interesting and I don't know if you heard about it but in, um, there was a recent case with uh, the uh, Google Play Store uh, where there were several apps that they were clones of other apps so for example there was one uh, was you know t- uh, allowing you to use your phone as a scanner to scan documents and it was actually like copying the same name and the same icon of, of another app and he ended up passing Uh, the, you know, the the screening (laughs) to get accepted in in the Google Play Store, but the app actually had uh, willingly had uh, several vulnerabilities in the code that allowed to groups of people with developers to literally gain access to the screenshots. (laughs) So, an enormous amount of documents ended up uh, leaking out, and this was uh, covered on on Twitter, too, on several profiles. Uh, On another side, uh, what is your opinion on you know like all the viral videos that are on YouTube? As people like Corey, like uh, uh, you know like a, what's the name the um, surprise box? You know the the, uh, the surprise box from the deep web or you know the red rooms and you know all that mythology around the deep web. What is your opinion about it? Um, you know the the
1: deep web changes so much that I haven't dug into that specific topic yet. But I, you know, you talked about hacking humans a minute ago, and I wanted to comment on that. There's, a, I think that the future of, I think like online hacking and cybersecurity is is a, 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 like a funnel of misinformation coming into our society and culture through through the internet. Um, and I'm talking about like Twitter bots and, and Facebook bots and Instagram bots that are 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 being used as some kind of uh, uh, I think maybe another country is coming in and flooding our systems with misinformation and disinformation and it's causing us to have outbreaks of new diseases and and causing us to to fight with each other a lot more because it it becomes very tribal they they target these these tribes you know like Uh, there's Brexit and Kalexic and and anti-vax and anyone who's got like you know a very tribal mentality of like this is this is where I need to be in my life or whatever there there's there seems to be a huge amount of Twitter bots that are promoting each one of these tribes and when it becomes very I don't know oversaturated and flooded with any conversation you try to have online that's rational and, and and thoughtful uh, it gets flooded by some of these, uh, some of these Twitter bots and, and other bots in other in other places, and I think this is a very
0: dangerous thing that we have to face today. Um, the just the
1: misinformation that's out there, and I don't really have a solution. But this is something that this is the current kind of research that I'm doing right now is to fi- figure out uh, exactly you know how could we battle against this how do we protect ourselves against this how much of this is that going on what's the reality of it how much is true how much is how much is conspiracy theories um and and try to get to the bottom of some of this because i i do i really do think this is our, our next cyber war
0: oh yeah yeah no, but definitely uh, on a you know on a personal side uh, i had a few chats with uh, uh this is a quite interesting thing uh, your research it's very very interesting uh, especially because it goes into the challenge of being objective and, and find like uh, data that is not touched by any party, that is you know it's it's uh, it's kind of a struggle. But I remember I talked um, with uh, a few scientists, neuroscientists, and people that do research, and basically you know we're you know people are really ad- addicted you know to smartphones and to anything visual. And that's primarily because uh, the visual cortex in in the nervous system is the one that takes the majority of energy in the brain. So basically, like you know, we, we evolved thanks to the huge amount of. Um, evolution that happened in the visual cortex so therefore before people you know in the past people uh, in the recent past people were addicted to the press then they became addicted to the television and and then right now you know we are on the internet which basically it's a huge stream of visual information uh, to the point that if you think about um, a platform like youtube uh, that you know it's video people go there to listen to music I have a perception of music from a visual point, uh, even yeah, itself—it's th- th- <laughs> crazy. Th-
1: that's very interesting. You point that out because what I think a lot of these groups are doing is using memes to to make their point come across, and and they're really spending a lot of time um, drawing up pictures of of you know whatever whatever the uh, whatever the enemy is, you know. Like you'll see uh, Photoshop pictures of Hillary and stuff like that um, coming out of some of these um, places that are uh, you know are are very powerful memes and those memes get spread they get retweeted they get reposted they get shared and that stuff so much faster than you know a a properly documented news story with good resources Um, because we are just so visual and we don't want to sit and like figure out all the truth behind it we just think oh that, that resonates with me, I'm going to repost that or whatever, and so, you know, that stuff spreads so much faster, you're right, the, the visual part of it, than, than some well-documented research.
0: Or you and, did uh, you read the uh, Richard Dawkins book, The Selfish Gene?
1: Uh, uh, excerpts of it.
0: Yeah, you should check that book because uh, uh, he explores the concept of memetics. He's actually, uh, some people credit him as uh, one of the first ones that started to talk about um, memes. Uh, The book is from 1976. It's a pretty old book. But he talks about um, his study on information uh, based on a very interesting analogy with the the Darwinian evolution. And basically, the memetics uh, are uh, sort of... uh, uh, units of culture, like uh, ideas, you know, patterns of behavior and beliefs, and they somehow behave like viruses, so they, they can infect, uh, you know, systems like, uh, uh, like society or groups, etc., and um, using something which is highly addictive, like for example, uh, in the form of uh, visual entertainment, but they actually have an underlying message. So you can use a meme. Uh, uh, to convince somebody uh, or to control uh, the op- general opinion of people that are highly uh, they're very easy to be influenced for example because they they lack the proper uh, you know defense or you know understanding and so the Sophi gene is a very interesting book it's old it's 1976 uh, uh, but it does talk about something that is uh, extremely you know relevant to nowadays yeah I'll
1: check that out thanks for the tip.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Uh, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I love books in uh, in general. There is uh, uh, the other. The other thing that uh, comes to mind is uh, you know right now again like you know we're talking about uh, the relevance uh, of information because like everybody's saying that you know and by everybody I mean in the first world uh, big corporation they're saying we're living uh, the fourth industrial revolution, which is the the age of you know. This, the post information uh, overload. Uh, so we didn't make it yet, like we're still living uh, through the hype of data. So we are constantly producing data to the point that people have become products, like walking products, literally. And, um, but at the same time, uh, we're still trying to figure out how to convert that data, not necessarily just into money, but into something that is useful for, uh, for society. Uh, to make you know, like, general life better. Um, even there's, uh, even it seems, but that, uh, like in the first world, for example, data is more the domain of uh, converting into money than converting into healthcare, educational uh, values. But um, some, some, some of the things that seem to belong to security um, have uh, kind of infiltrated the life of, uh, you know, everyday life. And even people are still uh, ignorant uh, on certain aspects because uh, the information that is out there uh, is either you know too technical or not right uh, or it's more you know centered around the drama. Uh, what do you think uh, it would be the future of uh, education in technology? Do you think it will be more focused on, um still, you know, on just more on the technical side, and, uh, you know, will require people just to work and get the experience on the field? Or you think that technologies like uh, AI, for example, will help uh, the educational uh, world to provide uh, uh, simulations of real-life scenarios?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's gonna be a big shift in the, in the future here. Um, just, just recently, I... I was talking to some elementary school teachers and they've taken uh cursive out of their out of their curriculum they don't teach uh the cursive handwriting skill anymore but what they have done is they put uh laptops in every classroom and some schools are trying to get laptops in for every student and they spend every day working on a computer and this is this is so different than when i went there were no computers available in elementary school when I went, right? So now, even at this young age, um, they're working on it. And you know, being influenced by by such a young age is, is definitely going to give you a head start over someone like me who didn't start until I was in high school. Um, but the big thing I think is when you have things like uh, online training, like there's Khan Academy or MIT OpenCourseWare, where you can get full, College education online for um, free—you know—you start questioning what's the point of actually attending this university now when I can sit through the lectures. Like, you know, if I if I if I had an option to watch the best lecture possible. To teach me, or I've got my community college, which may or may not have a good lecturer to teach me the same subject. I think I'd prefer the best co- the best lecturer, maybe at MIT or Stanford, teaching me something uh, over, you know, maybe my community college. So I think what we can do is kind of bubble up, you know, maybe maybe change the way school is and do things like have a uh, lecture online from some of the top lecturers of the world and then workshops or labs in the classroom where you get to actually do some of the work that you, you learn in the lecture. Uh, and so I think, that, I think the universities and schools are gonna change really, really dramatically. And if you think about, we had the industrial revolution um, for so long. We had people that just wanted good workers. And that's what we've been training our students to do is just be very diligent, good workers. Um, to to pump out so many of these uh, materials and, and items that we needed in the world, but now we're getting into a place where we need uh, creative thinkers and out of the box thinkers and people who can lead others. And going through a very rigid, you know, typical school is not a place that really you know encourages that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, what kind of school could we send our students to to make them leaders? Well, that would look very different than you know what we're currently doing. So I think I think school going to be redesigned from the top down, and probably in the next ten years, and it's going to look very different. There might not even be a, a need for universities uh, in the traditional sense anymore. And I, I'm really looking forward to see how things change because hopefully it's for the better.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about how you know one of the you know, probable possible scenarios in the future for uh, for schools is, uh, is, is definitely something uh, I'm looking forward to that too to see uh, what will happen. And um, there's uh, there's another interesting implication um, about you know education and about knowledge, technology knowledge, and and also a better understanding of how to manage data and therefore also how to improve security. And he came out with a slightly dystopian question um, in a previous interview, uh, which I did with uh, an author, uh, Brad King, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about the fact that even, if, even when people have a lot of information uh, right under their eyes, right in front of their eyes, they, they seem to not be able to fully assimilate uh, the actual meaning and make it you know, practical. So we were talking about the fact that in the you know, in the past like probably ten or fifteen years there's been plenty of examples of groups um, like LUSAC or Anonymous uh, coming out and and, and trying to make people think, uh, you know, sometimes more in a political way, some other times more in a sort of an anarchic way, just saying like, uh, think outside, don't try to be a a rebel, because if you're a rebel, it means you belong to a system, because you're rebelling against the system, but trying to be more an outsider and try to, to look at things in a more objective way, And recently we had obviously, you know, all the WikiLeaks drama with the Julian Assange stuff. We had Edward Snowden, whistleblowers, etc. But still, after all this, after, you know, the the industry, -er, after several, you know, episodes, some more uh, technical, some other ones more, you know, the domain of mainstream, um, we have more social networks, we have more apps, uh, we have more companies leaking information. Uh, Somehow it seems with people you know, on many different backgrounds, I'm not really caring about uh, all this. And then a certain point, like this, you know, this chapter I was having with Brad King, he said that maybe what we need, I mean, what would require, not that we need it, you know, it would be, be better to avoid that, but some sort of a cybersecurity 9-11. So a major symbolic uh, event with strong social implications, that will somehow um, make people open their eyes. Because the 9-11 changed a lot of things, for uh, both on the legal side and the social aspect. Uh, you know, in the good and the bad uh, is something that got rooted in the, in, uh, you know, in, in the American culture, and also in the First World culture in general. Uh, do you think that there will ever be a cybersecurity or a security in 9-11? And if so, what do you think that will be? What it will look like? A uh, good
1: question. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you see hacks like we did Stuxnet against Iran, and um, there's other, you know, retaliations back on us. And a lot of people, a lot of news uh, media likes to quickly say this is an act of war. This is an act of war. And I think, I think we haven't quite seen an act of war yet in the cyberspace. Because, and this is just my opinion, because there hasn't been that that loss, loss of life or, or any kind of mass casualties. Stealing data, disrupting networks, uh, taking down networks, causing destruction of, you know, a specific company or office, you know, loss of financial data, I don't think is an act of war. That's more espionage. That's more, uh, you know, something else. Um, you know, and you've got, you've got CIA always out there doing some sort of disruption just in the field just all the time. They're always sabotaging uh you know our enemies and 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 doing other things so they're always just doing things that aren't necessarily considered act of war either you know they're just they're just out there causing causing a ruckus um but i think an act of war would be something like you know loss of life or or major major disruption to an entire city because that when our when our when our life is is screwed up in a big way now we need to uh look at what's going on and the other thing i haven't seen is is countries taking responsibility for this um you know when when we attacked uh iran in stuxnet the us denied it and never admitted to it and then iran attacked saudi arabia after that and they never admitted to it either and so if if you're gonna you know if you're gonna do it after war you would think that they would say we're doing it we're the ones who did this and for this reason and and we're attacking you you know it would be clear sign that this is happening and we haven't seen that so uh, you know i think those are kind of the the criteria that i'd like to see before i call something an act of war um and then I think what usually happens in this case is that it's not government versus government in these situations. Um, I think a government is going to hack a private industry or a private sector or, or something at a city level, um, such as such as the water treatment plants, the hydroelectric dams, or, or something like that, where... Um, where it will cause a major disruption to, you know, a lot of things. There are some reports of gas pipes exploding um, and, and this kind of thing. You know, that kind of stuff could be could, you know, starting to dabble in that space. Um, and and that's, that's not government, you know, government, our government can't really defend against that because they've got, it's, it's a private space. And so they can't just go around and protect all the private companies. Um, and it's, it's a little bit sad to me. That our government can do some sort of hacking, and then when their retaliation comes back, they're not there to help defend it. Um, And it's like, well, you're just leaving us out to dry to defend our own stuff that you started. Like, you started this problem, and now I'm the one who has to deal with it. Um, This is not fair, you know? And I I feel like that that isn't fair sometimes. Um, Yeah, I had one more point, but I forgot what it was going to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you think there's going to be a 9-11 of security, you know, to just to raise awareness, I would just, you know, that thing came out because a uh, few governments around the world, they said that they do kill based on metadata, and then when people think about that, they're like, what, what does it mean, metadata? And, um, and it means, like, you know, just information that creates profiles and then helps, you know, to... Either kill terrorists, but sometimes also to frame people uh, that they violate um, certain you know laws uh, in countries where freedom of speech is an option. So that's the uh, that's what we were talking about. So do you, do Yeah,
1: there there was another story that came out that um, Iran apparently got they like, infiltrated some of the CIA's internal communication uh, networks. Like you know, when a CIA agent is out in the field they're in another country, you can't just email them to let them know what the operation is. You have to go over a very secure channel that is within the CIA's network. And Iran somehow got into this channel and was listening to see all the communication between CIA agents out in the field and was able to actually kill, find and kill 30 CIA agents within Iran and China because they knew their exact location through, through getting this, um, through, you know, spying through the wires like that. yeah yeah. this is interesting because this is kind of an augmented cyber attack right it's like it's it's getting the signals intelligence from from the communications and then actually deploying troops in the field to do the the attack and and you know like that's now a gray line it's almost like it's a it's enhancing the military in a certain way to say okay we're going to use this information to wage the attacks um, you know, is that now a cyber 9-11 when, you know, they picked up on specific stuff to make the attack? That's it's hard to say, right?
0: Oh, yeah. no, oh, definitely. There, I mean, the whole direction of how both on, you know, on the bureaucratical side on the government side and also on the social at, uh, side, uh, how the online world or, you know, the so-called cyberspace would be, either controlled or managed uh, is actually a huge question mark like nobody really knows it could really take so many different directions and probably many different scenarios at the same time and, and this comes to you last questions last question that I have and um, which is it's related to privacy but it comes into um, it's related to um, also a news which was released uh, in September 2018 Um, and it was related to a concern from the Australian government uh, which found out that thousands of Australians have been literally um, cutting illegal deals over uh, darknet spaces, uh, which is not a novelty obviously, but what uh, Australia did is that they're looking into changing uh, the, the process of how people access internet for example, if you're a user going through uh, an internet service provider uh, which is based in Australia, then the whole connection would be um, government controlled. And so much like uh, North Korea, uh, this is you know it's, they're thinking about you know doing it in a way which is obviously more democratic than North Korea. But the whole concept is that to make people aware that in the moment you are online, and willing or not. You do are uh, you do are you are giving away tracks uh, about your behavior and information that can be used to create a profile, or it can be sold to third parties. So all this is um, kind of like getting back to the old quest uh, about uh, privacy and you know like the kind of you know utopistic view um, of um, groups of people that work, for example, with the tour project. Uh, or they're involved in developing apps to protect um, encrypting of communication between, say, uh, whistleblowers and journalists, uh, or people that live uh, in countries where freedom of speech uh, is not given for granted. Uh, Do you think that privacy is something related to expression? So, for example, the privacy of, of having a free conversation between two people, because uh, there were people in the 70s but uh, they were uh, they were not having conversations if there was a phone in a room and, and this is in the 70s you know because they were probably uh, afraid of uh, wiretapping. Uh, but nowadays uh, we carry probably the best uh, tracker with us is smartphones uh, obviously not in the way we see in the movies but if we have an infected smartphone with a malware uh, or different types of technologies we can use that against the person, against the user that tracks the phone. Do you think that privacy is something that is a utopia online? Uh, or is something that it should reflect somehow what happens in the real world? So the cyberspace is just a reflection of the real world or is a completely different dimension?
1: I think I think there, there still is a lot of privacy going on out there. Um, you know, it's talking about darknets, there's a lot of illegal stuff that goes on on darknets that um, FBI agents are r- right now actively trying to find those people who are conducting these activities, and they're not able to. Um, they're having a tough time. And so, you know, when you read about some of these big dark net markets that get taken down, it takes years for them to find who these people are and dozens of people looking into it. And so, if it takes like a whole, you know, small army of people just to find the person running the dark market, then there's obviously still a lot of privacy out there. So, I don't call it a utopia, it's still a reality. But you have to go through a lot of precautions and
0: safety checks to to keep your privacy online. And I do feel like it is
1: one of those things that we're letting the genie out of the bottle and we're we're giving permission on our phone to say, oh yeah, flashlight, you can access my microphone, that's fine and you know because you just want it to work and you don't want to fresh you don't want to be slowed down by things like privacy and security uh so you just say like, yeah whatever you need just work darn it and and so you you we, we lose more and more when that happens um and that is a big problem and i and i'm hoping that there there becomes a bigger need for people wanting to be private and secure online and you know maybe a different phone comes out with a different operating system that's more secure. I know we've had a few um, in the past, but they, they really haven't caught on and, and and gotten too big. And I'd like to see more things like that. There was a there's an article I read recently about somebody using an i an iPod touch as their primary phone now. Because it doesn't have the ability to do the SS7 hijacking to to steal your phone number right out of it. And it also has a couple other things that just makes it more secure because it doesn't have all the things that a, a regular phone has. Like there's no way to connect to a cell network. So there's no way to triangulate where you are using cell records, uh, you know, and, and a few other things. So um, that's one option, you know, and these are some of the extreme cases you have to take is is to is to uh, you know maybe carry that instead of a, a normal phone and maybe a, a second phone to bounce off of for Wi-Fi if you need to or something like that. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of tracking on the phones going on right now. Are, an article I read it says even with your phone GPS completely off um, and you know Wi-Fi off, the of airplane mode um, when your phone comes back online, um, then a, a lot of telemetry gets sent to To uh, Google and such to to let them know where you were, and um, that is being sol- sold, and bought, and all kinds of things to to other marketing companies and ad agencies and maybe governments. Um, and especially Google is using it for for certain things, and that that is scary to me. Like uh, it'd be nice to be able to turn that stuff off or block it permanently, because, uh, like I said, it's one of the. It's like it's it, to me. It's like um, it's like an oil spill. Um. You know in the environment when it when it gets out in the open uh it's going to take years and years and years for us to contain it and bring it back and so when, when we lose grip of our privacy and control of our privacy then um it's just it's going to be a problem that the next generation is certainly going to have to battle
0: oh yeah no definitely but also uh, it will probably come down to the value that they give to privacy because as you just said Like, if you are, uh, you know, there's several groups of, uh, you know, millennials and, you know, and teenagers that they were, you know, just born like in the year 2000, uh, and they want things to work fast, they want a quick reward, Um, you know, something that is user-friendly, so they're more into, you know, the aspect of the uh, user experience, etc., and how quick they can get things done than thinking about, oh, let, let me see what is the the process, where things go, uh, which ultimately probably goes back to what you were saying before about education and, you know, increasing awareness uh, about technology, because we can't escape that, I mean, nowadays we kind of like, we're at the point where we're thinking if we own internet or internet owns us, um, it's uh, there's more groups of people that, there. Was, there was an interesting um, theory uh, in science um, called um, theory of complexity. They were saying that if you have a, you have a system which is complex enough, eventually it will show signs of being aware, being self-aware. So <laughs> there were some people um, in, online, but they were saying, well, I mean, what will happen if, uh, you know, a brain has about 80 billion uh, neurons, so what about if you have a system like internet in general, uh, thinking about both you know, the clear net and the deep web, you know, the indexed and not indexed part of the internet, and you have all this super intricate uh, network of uh, literally hardware connected to other hardware. And what, will, what will happen if that will show a form of intelligence or independence would, uh, you know, would, would it be manifesting as predicting my votes? And then nowadays, this obviously is like a sci fi uh, concept, but nowadays, what we see, uh, you know, through uh, all, all the leaking that happens in, in pretty much any browser uh, and the most popular operation systems, uh, we're going on the internet and then we have ads that follows us around. Or we talk about something with, you know, other people, a friend of ours, and because they're connected with us online. When we go back home, we open, you know, Google, and then we go on Facebook, and and, people, and we're asking, how is it possible? Facebook knows what I'm thinking. So <laughs> it's uh, it's quite, it, it's kind of like a, a dystopia, you know. And if you don't know the technology behind it, uh, for people, it, it looks like, you know, the uh, the, or the the Big Brother, you know, uh, type of dystopian future.